<laughs> Today I want to talk about a theological struggle that is as old as humanity. This is a message that God has really impressed upon my heart, and I believe that it's the right time to talk about this issue. The issue is this. If God is love, and he is all-powerful, and he is ultimately sovereign over all things, why is there so much suffering in the world? I'm not sure I'm going to completely answer this question in the next 30 minutes or so, but I'm going to give you some important things to remember. This question we need to explore because sooner or later we will experience forms of pain or suffering and our faith will grow stronger or weaker depending on our understanding of suffering in the ways of God. Okay? For some of you who are going through suffering or pain or uh, confusion about the struggles in your life right now, I'm hoping that this message is going to be a real lifeline. And for those of you where who are experiencing real peace and prosperity and joy and everything is perfectly rosy in your life. We love that. We bless you for it. Uh, but we want you to store this away. Store it away because the rainy day will come and you will need this message. Life can be extremely painful. It can be confusing, hard to understand, bitter even. It can screw us up. Especially when we experience pain and suffering while we're young and we're still forming our worldview. There are people with very big questions about life and God and suffering. Questions like, if God is all loving and powerful, why did he allow me to be bullied for nearly all of my school life? If God is ultimately in control and truly cares for me, why was I left without any parents when I was just nine years old? Why did he let my dad drink himself to death? Or if God loves me enough to go to the cross for me, and he's revealed himself as a healer, why am I on my third round of chemo? Or why have I suffered yet another miscarriage? The list we could create of possible scenarios is endless, isn't it? And there are new forms of Suffering and pain being invented every day. How can we reconcile God's love and power with this kind of prolonged and damaging pain? On the angry atheist end of the debate, Stephen Fry gave a stirring interview on the Irish RTE television's Meaning of Life show. Fry left the the television host stunned when he explained what he would say if he was confronted by God. The television host asked Fry this question. Suppose it's all true, and you walk up to the pearly gates, and you're confronted by God. What will Stephen Fry say to him, her, or it? Fry began his protest. I'd say, bone cancer in children. What's that about? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? I think that describes the angry end of the debate pretty well, don't you? Giles Fraser 
wrote a response to this TV interview in The Guardian, which articulates the other end of the debate pretty well. And I, I wanted to share this with you. He says, Fry's idea... Hang on, let's see if I got this bit. No, it's the last bit. Okay, hang on. Fry's idea of God seems to, to suggest that if God exists, he is like a command and control astronaut responsible for some wicked Hunger Games experiment on planet Earth. A God who is primarily a God of power and ultimate control. Fraser argues, I don't believe in the God that Stephen Fry doesn't believe in either. <laughs> Fraser says there's bravery in the entertainer's imagined confrontation with God, but in describing it, he shows that he misunderstands the true nature of Christianity. I love this. This is Fraser. Not that one. <laughs> Giles Fraser. Giles Fraser says, The Jesus story is, for me, the most theologically revolutionary story that there can be, because it imagines God and power separated. God as a baby. God poor. God helpless on a cross. God with a mocking and ironic crown of thorns. In these scenes, it's Caesar who has the power. He goes on to say, This powerless thing subverts Fry's accusation of God's iniquity. For if we are imagining a God whose only power, indeed whose only existence, is love itself, then God cannot stand accused as the cause of humanity's suffering. Rather, by being human as well as divine, he fully shares in it. This is precisely the point of Christianity, that God is not some distant observer but suffers alongside all humanity, which is why even in the midst of absolute horror, he has authority to whisper in my ear that all will be well. Hallelujah. Great words, right? Yeah. Most of us agree with Giles Fraser that the God we see revealed in Jesus is a God who is firstly well acquainted with our suffering. He's not aloof and distant and disinterested. He understands our suffering himself. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, he was, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with our deepest griefs. That's describing Jesus. Whatever we are going through, he gets it. He not only has felt it, he feels it with us because he enters into our pain with us. Secondly, God doesn't just understand, he also helps us. Psalm 46 verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Say always. Always. Always ready to help in times of trouble. Sometimes his help pulls us out of suffering. And sometimes... His help comes in a form to strengthen us, to endure it, as he himself did. And I think we like the first option most. When God steps in. When he rescues us. When he heals us by his power. When he removes our fears. When he breaks off addictions. When that job just lands in our lap. That sort of thing. We love it when God helps us like that, don't we? And he does that. And he does it often. 
In fact, that was the central feature of Jesus' ministry, wasn't it? When people came to him with all manner of problems, and life had hurt them in some way, and they were going through suffering, what was Jesus' initial response? It was always, be healed in Jesus' name. And the eyes opened up, and the, the lame jumped to their feet, and people got their dignity back. So that's why we always go for that option. We always say, this is the heart of God, modelled in Jesus. When you're suffering, we're going to go for breakthrough. We're going to go to see that you have a big turnaround in your situation, and you're released from whatever suffering and pain you're experiencing. Whether it be physical, or mental, or circumstantial, relational, whatever it is. We know that the heart of God is that you be made whole, and that you experience joy and peace in your life. Otherwise, the whole story of Jesus doesn't make sense, does it? So we always go for that, every single time, if that's how you want us to pray. And we've seen God do some wonderful miracles. But there's the other way too, that Jesus also modelled. God sometimes strengthens us to endure suffering. He doesn't just always instantly alleviate the suffering. Sometimes we have to walk through it. That was the way of Jesus. It was a way carrying a cross. He was... He, he was willing to walk through suffering. It was the way of the disciples. Every single one of Jesus' disciples went through hell before they went home. It was the way of the early church. So many of Paul's writings to early Christians is, it were, is about stand strong because the suffering that you're feeling right now isn't going to last forever. But they were suffering. It's not a sugar-coated religion. He doesn't always alleviate suffering straight away. Suffering is a part of this life. But when we go through it, God promises two things. Firstly, suffering is always temporary. Suffering is always temporary. In Revelation chapter 21, where... The whole of human history, good, bad, and ugly, is culminated. Verses 3 and 4 say this, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now amongst his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. There will come a time when God will bring a full and final end to suffering. That date is coming. I don't know when that date is. I can't tell you that. But I can tell you that we're one day closer than we were yesterday. <laughs> Our suffering can't last forever. One day it will be a thing of the past. Just as an aside... That's another strong argument about God's intentions towards us. Look at the kind of world God wanted to create on page one of the Bible. And then look at the kind of world God wants to bring us on the last page of the Bible. And you can see that God wants a world without suffering just as much as you do. And in fact, in between the first page of the Bible and the last page of the Bible, there is nobody that suffers more than Jesus. And if you look on a big cosmic scale, there is nobody who suffers throughout history more than God himself. Because God is the one who takes all the suffering of the world upon him. 
wave after wave after wave. God is the one who is acquainted with your griefs, who walks through your pain with you. I have the privilege of walking through pain with some people in this congregation. But it's painful to do that. It, it costs you. God, can you imagine being the God who walks through the suffering of the whole of the world on a moment-by-moment basis and cares about every situation? Why on earth, after Genesis chapter 3, did God just not draw a line under the whole thing and just say, it's ruined? This dream of the earth and all it can be is, is going to just descend into so much suffering. Let's just call it a day and give it up as a bad job. Why didn't he do that? Why did he commit to a kind of existence through millennia which is going to cause him and everybody else so much pain? I, I, I only have one answer, and that's love. He just could not give up on this world that he created. He loved it too much. He was willing to go through it, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or poorer, whatever, I am committed. Anyway, the first thing God's promise is, is that our suffering will be temporary. In this life or the next, he will bring us peace. And the second thing he promises when it comes to suffering is that he will use every bad situation to refine us and to make us like Jesus. I have had the privilege of knowing a lot of awesome older people. Some of you are here. And the people that I'm referring to are generally sweet people, kind people, gracious people, older people who have learned to be content with life. They're full of wisdom and encouraging words. I need you people. I want to be like you people one day. What makes the people I'm thinking of so wonderful? Well, I can tell you it's not usually because they've lived an easy insulated, uh, pain-free, privileged life. Usually those people are sweet and kind and wise and generous and content because they've walked through some stuff. And they've come out the other side and they've come out stronger and sweeter and more gracious. And those seasons of pain have produced incredible character in them. They may carry some scars, but when you spend time with them, you can encounter Jesus. God will do that in us all if we let him. Because you see, he is always focused on what we are becoming. We usually get focused on getting our needs met on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. That's kind of how we're wired as human beings. What do I need right now? What do I like? What do I not like? What do I want to get rid of out of my life right now because I don't like it? And what do I want? That's kind of how the flesh works. <laughs> But God has always got one eye on the long game. And he doesn't mind using the pressures of today to shape you for what's going to happen tomorrow and who you're going to be tomorrow. It's a bit like making a cake. You think of flour and butter and raw egg and sugar. Have you ever taken a tablespoon of flour and just stuffed it in your mouth? <laughs> it's yes. not, not a nice experience. <laughs> Matt says yes. <laughs> or or uh, just a, a big scoop of butter and shoving that in there. It's disgusting. I keep trying to explain to Honor that that is disgusting. She doesn't seem to get it. But uh, a mouthful of butter is horrible. Or just a cracker raw egg in your mouth. 
If you're not Rocky Balboa, that's not a good thing. Sugar's not so bad. <laughs> but uh, every trauma you experience can be a little bit like the raw material. And we just, we experience it and we say, oh, I don't like this. I don't want this. I want this out of my life. But you know what? God isn't just, you know, bringing together a load of random raw material. Sometimes God uses the raw moments of our lives to create something which is going to be so sweet later on. It might have to go through the oven a bit. It might have to go through the pressure. But actually God has got his eye on what he's creating out of your life. And he will use ingredients that on their own may seem harsh or horrible. But he knows what he's doing with them. He would just totally win Bake Off. <laughs> so every opportunity is an opportunity to grow in Christ-like character and closeness to God. That's why the Bible says in James 1 verses uh, 2 to 4, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That's where you're all headed. Did you know that? Perfect and complete, needing nothing. How do you get there? Struggle. Are you liking the message so far? <laughs> Sadly, time... Oh, I wasn't fishing for that, by the way. I was just thinking it still sounds a bit harsh. <laughs> Sadly, times of suffering and trauma are also the main times when the enemy comes in hard and tries to rob you of your faith and to squish you in the moment. We probably all know people who have walked away from God because of some kind of trauma. They were going okay, and then something traumatic hits in, and all of a sudden they can't face God anymore, and they leave, and they leave their faith behind. I've come through some painful struggles in my own life, and I've walked through some similar seasons with many others as a pastor. And what I've discovered is that at points in your life when you're hitting real pain and suffering, there's nearly always a theological battle to be won on top of the struggle itself. There's a faith battle that happens. And what's fascinating to me is the way the enemy seems to use the same four questions to kick us when we're down. These questions have come up again and again and again in my pastoral ministry from a broad range of different people. And I've been able to see a clear picture of how the enemy operates in times of suffering. He comes with these four toxic, loaded questions straight from the pit of hell, designed carefully to lead us away from God. And for those of us who know our Bibles, this shouldn't be a surprise. This has been the enemy's tactics from the beginning. Beginning with Eve. How did he deceive Eve? How did he lead her away from God? He just asked toxic questions, didn't he? Did God really say you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? That sort of thing. And you see it again with Jesus in his temptation in the wilderness. When Jesus is becoming incredibly strong in his ministry. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's about to go out and change the world. The enemy comes in at that point when he is when really weak because he's been fasting for 40 days and he's struggling in the desert and the enemy comes in and what does he do? He asks toxic questions. Questions that are designed to cast doubt on God, on who he is. If you are the son of God, if God really cares for you, 
you know? It's how he works, always. So here's the first question that hits us when we're going through it. And you will have heard this before, either from your, uh, in your own head or from other people. Is this, why me? Why me? Or why them, when you're struggling with the suffering of a loved one? Why them? They're lovely. It seems so unfair. Why them? Have you ever asked yourself that question? This question is designed to bring into question the value of a person, especially people's value to God. Why did God let this happen to them? The underlying message is God can't care about them too much to let this happen. It ignores the fact that God has already declared them infinitely valuable through the sacrifice of Jesus. It ignores the way he's moved heaven and earth to redeem this person. It ignores the truth that he's promised to be faithful to his covenant with them for all eternity. It draws a curtain of doubt over all of that and suggests that God has somehow changed his mind and no longer sees this person worthy of care. That's what that question does. Why me? Why them? Look out for it. It's a loaded question and it's not from God. The second toxic question is this. What did I do to deserve this? Ever asked yourself that? What did I do to deserve this struggle? The language is very specific. It's not, what did I do to land up in this mess? That's a positive reflection question that might just bring some wisdom. You might be able to see where you've made some wrong turns leading up to this, and maybe I should have addressed this at an earlier point. It's nothing to do with uh, solving the problem. It's got everything to do with guilt. What did I do to deserve this? That suggests punishment. In the middle of your suffering, the devil wants to suggest that God is punishing you with this painful experience in order to teach you a lesson for your sin. So rather than God kindly removing your sin on the cross and giving you his spirit to help you live free from the power of sin, the enemy loves to cast doubt on God's grace and loving fatherhood and repaint God as a punishing tyrant or an oppressive taskmaster. Like an old school schoolmaster that just wants to beat the sin out of you through bad experience. Jesus' followers came to him one day with this same question. They were walking through a town and they saw this blind guy at the side of the road. And they came to Jesus and said, who sinned? Was it this guy or was it his parents? Why is he like this? What did he do to deserve this punishment? And Jesus' response was amazing. He basically said, what an unhelpful question. He said, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming when no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. In other words, Jesus said, I have come to shine light on the will of the Father, not for punishing people, but for making people whole. And Jesus healed him. So watch out for that one. What did I do to deserve this? It's a false accusation from Satan. And Satan's name is what? The accuser. The name Satan means the accuser. That's what he does. Third toxic question that I often hear people entertain in the middle, middle of struggle is this. Where is God in all of this? Have you ever asked yourself that? Where is God in the middle of all of this? 
Sometimes that question might come when you see atrocities on the news, when there's kind of national disasters and things like that. Where is God in the middle of all of this? The underlying question, suggestion with this one is that God has not only led you into a time of confusing struggle, he's also abandoned you in your pain, withdrawn his presence and his love and his care. That's the underlying suggestion with that question. Once we believe that God has forsaken us, we naturally start to withdraw from him. The faith we used to exercise to draw near to him just sort of begins to evaporate. And we find ourselves feeling distant from God, struggling to feel his presence, struggling to do the things that we know are good for us in our faith. We find it increasingly difficult to pray and to meet with other believers, to hear God's voice and to read the scriptures and to feel his comfort and his peace. And it's horrible. It's horrible. You're probably feeling depressed just listening to this. Don't entertain that thought for a second. Jesus is absolutely clear. Matthew 28, 20. He said, be sure of this. I will be with you always. Everyone say always. Always. Even to the end of the age. Jesus will never leave you or forsake you or leave you struggling in your pain. You may be going through it, but I guarantee you, even if you don't feel it in the moment, God is right there with you. The Bible says so. And that's where it starts. It's just agreeing with the word. The Bible says, therefore, I'm going to start there. Don't start with a toxic question which seems to suggest that God is not with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. But just to finish us off and to kick us further while we're down... The fourth and final toxic question that the enemy throws at us in times of struggle is, what possible good could this struggle be achieving? Have you ever asked that? Or heard someone ask that? What possible good could this struggle be achieving? The enemy will throw that question at your lowest point. Because we often can't answer it immediately. Often in the middle of stress and pain and suffering, there comes a measure of confusion. We don't know the why that we're going through it straight away. But this question is designed to make us feel that our pain is meaningless. And we might as well give up looking for the goodness of God altogether because there isn't any to be had. I think uh, the story of Mary and Joseph is uh, an interesting one to talk about at the hot, hot time of year. Um, but I think it really illustrates this. If you think of, of Mary and her birth experience, she must, I mean, what would that do to your head if you're about to give birth to the Son of God and then you just got to go from place after place after place in a painful labour on the back of a donkey, looking for somewhere to have your baby, and then you, through that stressful evening of searching, you end up in a stable, a dirty stable, probably. It probably wasn't, you know, super like it is on the Christmas cards. Uh, and you, find, you have your baby, and then you find yourself cradling your baby, sat on the cold, cobbled floor with your bum going to sleep. And you can imagine her thinking, what possible good could all of this stress and struggle and ending up in a barn do? What, what's the point of it all? Could she see then that the countless millions of people that would have access to the story of our faith who are born into poverty, 
who, who are, don't have it easy, who are not privileged, but suddenly would feel like maybe I can see my story in this story. Maybe Christianity is for everybody, not just the privileged few, and would be a wide open door to humanity. Could she see that as her bum was going to sleep holding her baby? I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt she had that in her mind. But that's what the enemy comes in with. What possible good can this struggle do for anything? And you just got to learn to trust him. There's only one way to deal with that situation, to trust that God is good and faithful and he will somehow bring some good after this if I place my life in his hands. Can you see that with these four basic questions, the enemy seeks to meet us in our struggle when we're at our weakest and our most confused and to draw us down a bitter road of despair and loneliness and hopelessness. And it's so easy, if we don't catch this, to let the enemy repaint God as a monster and to find ourselves drawing away from God. I've seen it too many times. Thankfully, there is another road you can take, one that leads to life and strength and character and intimacy with God and can turn painful situations around for God's glory. I want to give you something today that will help you to handle suffering well, very practically, and to grow in character rather than growing bitter. Are you ready? I want you to remember one Bible passage, and it's James 4, 7 and 8. You can turn there if you want. James 4, 7 and 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's the first part of it. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Know who you belong to. Root yourself in who you belong to when you're going through suffering. And know whose voice you're listening to. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You have to acknowledge there's a battle on in order to resist. It's going to come. These questions are going to hit you. Resist the, the devil, and he will flee from you because he knows when he's not getting anywhere and draw near to God and he will draw near to you those are the three elements submit yourselves to God resist the devil and draw near to God and he will draw near to you (coughs) draw near by faith in God in his demonstrated love and goodness and he will draw near to you he'll let you feel his closeness and he'll strengthen you for the trial that you're facing take a James 4 7 stance And then ask four better questions. First one. What has has God provided for me? What has God provided for me? Start thanking God for what you do have. If you're battling with ill health, thank God for the health professionals. Thank God for the NHS. Having spent a few uh, weeks in Tanzania where there is no NHS and seeing people laid outside hospitals waiting for treatment and knowing they're not going to get any because they've got no cash, I will never uh, be upset about the NHS ever again. Mm -hmm. NHS is an incredible gift to all of us. Thank God for the access to healthcare that you have. If you've had something stolen or destroyed, thank God for your insurance. Thank God for your savings. Thank God that you're surrounded by friends that won't let you go without. If you've lost your job, thank God for your skill set. Thank God for your CV, your qualifications. Thank God that you're in a country where it's quite easy to go from one job to another. Find something to be thankful for. Your faithful dog, your garden, Netflix, your bed, even better, your Bible 
as I said the other week. There's strength in there, and you have it in your hands. Just start listing your blessings. It changes how you approach your suffering. God has given us all that we need. Maybe it's not always what we thought we should have at this stage in our lives. Maybe it's not working out as we imagined when we were younger, but God has provided and always will provide everything you need. So that's the first rise up question. What has God provided for me? Second one, who has God provided for me? Who can I draw comfort from when struggles comes and we need one another? It's time to lean on people, isn't it? And it's one of the most beautiful things about humanity, when one person helps another through struggle. And can we just get it out of the way that, yes, of course it's easier to help people than be helped yourself. We all feel like that. None of us likes being a burden on anyone. Okay? Full stop. We, we, none of us find that easy. But it's necessary. And it's important that we learn the art of receiving help. So who am I grateful for? Family, friends, church family, supportive employers, prophets, maybe those people who have given us encouraging words in the past. Get those words out if you've got a few prophetic words and feed on them as you're going through the struggle. Rise up question number three goes something like this. God, can you fill me with your love and your peace right now in the midst of this situation? That's to directly encounter where is God in all of this counter it to come in the opposite spirit instead of wondering where God is just exercise your faith come to God with the request can you fill me with your love and your peace right now it presumes that the Lord is at your right hand it presumes that you're a son or daughter of God and that relationship will never change and he'll always be available and he'll never leave you it's a faith statement it opens your heart to an encounter with God. You're not just playing games with God, waiting to see he w- if he will bother to come and help you, which happens. That's doubt and self-pity talking. No, this is taking hold as, uh, of your right as a son or a daughter and to run into his outstretched arms and say, God, I'm coming, I need your help. It's a different way to approach God altogether. And God promises to be there when you do. Remember that James 4 verse, draw near to God and he will, everybody say will, Will. he will draw near to you. Does the word of God lie? Never. Final rise up question. God, would you show me how you can fulfill your purposes even in this situation? That is possible. It sounds a bit idealistic that we would be people that are about his purposes through our own suffering, but it is possible. I have known many people who have decided to see periods of trial as opportunities to grow in character and release the kingdom of God. I've known people treat times in hospitals, opportunities to bless staff and fellow patients. God seems to find this attitude irresistible, so many have seen healing and salvation in their hospital wards. Perhaps one of the brightest examples of uh, using your circumstances to bless God and to see his will done is this guy, Brother Yun. Have you read Heavenly Man? Highly recommend it. You can get it through Royal Pan. Uh, this guy was imprisoned for, and tortured for his faith. And the remarkable thing about him is he had an army of people praying for him outside the prisons, but he wasn't asking them, pray that God will get me out ASAP. He was saying, pray that the will of God will be done while he's placed me here. 
and that I won't get out a day earlier or a day later than he wants me to be here. That takes faith, especially when you hear of the kind of torture he was going through. But there's something about a life that is about God's business that is so incredibly beautiful and incredibly powerful. He was sustained through the whole thing by God's grace. So, that kind of character could be yours if you choose it today. It begins with a choice of who you say God is. Brothers and sisters, whatever befalls you in this life, however stressful or hard or confusing it gets, remember what God is really like. He's not a monster. He's not the author of suffering. He's a faithful father and he's love personified. He's right there with you. He will never leave you. He will bring you through to perfect peace in this life or the next. And he will use every circumstance for good if you let him. I want to leave you with one final thought. Imagine we are all in paradise. And we've all been there for 200 years. And in paradise with God... Because Jesus hasn't come again yet to sort the world out. And we're still waiting with him. We decide to have a TUFC reunion. Yes. In heaven. So everybody in this room is going to be there, right? We coordinate by text, whatever you do in paradise. Now. <laughs> right. WhatsApp, probably. That's the best way to get people together. So we WhatsApp each other and we all get together in, so in the halls of heaven, wherever that is. And we're having a great time. And we, obviously Jesus is there because he's the guest of honour. And we're just reminiscing about our time on earth, which was now 200 years old. Our time here, as we share about our experiences and, what, and the faithfulness of God and what God did with us, our time here is going to feel incredibly short. Yeah. Like a brief moment and a distant memory. Because all we will have known is pain-free worship when we're there. And we're going to look back on these days with a certain fondness because right now we have a unique opportunity to love God in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. Right now we have a way, an opportunity to worship and to live out our covenant with God in a way that won't be available to us when we're there. <laughs> what would you say to your earth self 200 years ago from that perspective? You would want to use every moment of suffering as an opportunity to show God just how much you love him and just how much you are about his kingdom above all things and not just about getting your needs met, wouldn't you? You'd want to have a whole host of stories you can tell and things you can remember about how we loved God even when it hurt us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you, Lord, that when we get hold of who you are and where you are and how you are with us, we can live strong lives. We can weather the storms. Lord, theology like this, which puts you in the place of love and not just a tyrant with power, Lord, that is like strength for the soul. It's like a steel rod that goes down through our lives and keeps us standing no matter what happens. Father, my prayer is that everyone in this room will get to the end of their days having known that your faithfulness 
your comfort, your peace and your intimacy throughout every situation that comes. And more than that, that we would have received so much of your goodness and so much truth in our inner being that we would have strength to offer others. That we would be strength givers. We would be the ideal people to walk through suffering with others because we carry your grace and your presence. Father, would you pour out your miraculous salvations and healings in this place? Save us from our suffering and make us the kind of people of character and perseverance that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.